Les écouteurs, ça va Good afternoon, dear Sangha. Today is uh, the 31st of December of the year 2012, and we are in the Assembly of Stars Meditation Hall of uh, the Lower Hamlet of Plum Village. Uh, and these are the last uh, hours of the, the year. It's wonderful to be together as a Sangha, as a spiritual family. Breathing in, I'm aware of the sunshine, of the Sangha, of Mother Earth, Father Son. Breathing out, I smile to these wonders of life in me and around me. This moment is a precious moment. <coughs> we have a body and we have feelings, we have perceptions. And thanks to these factors, we are able to be in touch with the wonders of life that are in us and around us. The first thing we do uh, together this afternoon is to to generate the energy of uh, of uh, understanding and compassion. And this is by the practice of chanting and listening. If, if we know how to chant and if we know how to listen, then we can together produce, uh, generate a very uh, powerful collective energy of understanding and compassion. These two kinds of energies have the power to heal, to liberate. If we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we can get the liberation that we need. We can get out of the situation just by um, the power of understanding. We don't have to do anything. just generate the, the energy of understanding. And that understanding will liberate us right in the here and the now. And understanding is a kind of uh, energy that always brings with itself the energy of uh, compassion, love. With compassion in our heart, we suffer less right away. We can accept and the energy of compassion can heal, can heal us, and heal the people around us. 
So this is this practice is not exactly a prayer, but uh, a meditation. A practice that generates uh, the energy of understanding and compassion for us to heal ourselves and help heal our society. And every one of us has a seed of understanding in us, has a seed of compassion in us. There is no doubt that each of us has that seed of understanding and compassion. Because in the past, there were times when we were able to understand and to love. And that uh, seat of understanding and compassion in us is described uh, in the Buddhist tradition as uh, our Buddha nature. We have our Buddha nature within. And if we know how to do, and then we can, we can generate the energy of the Buddha from within to heal ourselves and help to heal the world. Understanding, first, is understanding the suffering inside of us, in the other person, and in the world. We suffer because we do not understand our own suffering and the suffering of the other person. We do not understand our suffering and the suffering of the other person because we don't want to be in touch with that suffering. We try to run away from the suffering inside of us. And we don't want to to get in touch with the suffering in the other person. And the suffering in us is calling for to be understood. It is like a wounded child in us. And always calling us to come back and to understand. And only with that understanding that uh, the wounded child in us can be healed. So suffering in us demand, requires us to come home to us and to understand. So when the monastic chant the name of Avalokiteshvara, the name of the Bodhisattva of understanding, the Bodhisattva of uh, compassion, they try the best to go home to themselves and recognize the suffering in them. Hello, my dear suffering. I know you are there. I am home to take care of you. I am holding you tenderly in my arms of mindfulness. And that is our practice. Not to run away anymore from our suffering, but go home recognize it and embrace it tenderly. And this can be done without fear. Because if we know how to breathe mindfully 
sit mindfully, chant mindfully, and listen mindfully, and then we generate the energy of mindfulness that help us not to be afraid of suffering. That energy of mindfulness will help us to recognize the suffering in us and to embrace it. Suppose uh, this is uh, my suffering inside. It is a kind of energy. And, and this is the energy of mindfulness that we generate by the practice of mindful sitting, mindful breathing, mindful chanting, mindful listening. We pay attention to our uh, in-breath and out-breath. We pay attention to our uh, chanting. We stop the thinking. We just uh, listen. We just chant. And that is called mindful chanting, mindful listening. Mindful chanting, mindful listening. Mindful chanting, mindful listening help the mindfulness as an energy to be there. And with that second energy, we recognize the energy of suffering and embrace the suffering tenderly like a mother holding her child, like a big brother holding a younger brother. And that is the practice. And with the energy of mindfulness, there is no reason why we have to be afraid to go home and, uh, and encounter the suffering inside. Most people do, do not do that. They try to run away from their own suffering and by the way of consuming. They listen to music. They watch television, they talk over the phone, they go and get something to eat. These things are to escape, to run away, to try not to be in touch with something inside. But according to uh, this practice, we do the opposite. Instead of trying to cover up the suffering inside, instead of... Uh, try to run away from the suffering inside. You go home and uh, take care of the suffering inside with the energy of mindfulness. So when the monastic chant the name of the Bodhisattva Avalokita, the Bodhisattva of deep listening, of compassion, they touch the suffering inside of them. That suffering may have been transmitted to them by their parents or their ancestors. Because sometimes we suffer and we do not know why we suffer. Because the suffering in us carries within itself the suffering of our father, our mother, our ancestors. And uh, holding our suffering, we hold at the same time the suffering of our parents, our ancestors, 
This is a very deep practice. You don't have to think. You just feel. You just embrace the suffering. Because the suffering needs to be recognized and embraced. And that is exactly what we do. And if we, we do that, we get a relief. It's like a, a mother holding a, a, a suffering uh, baby. The loving energy, the tenderness of the mother penetrates into the bo- body of the baby. And the baby suffers less. Because the energy of, uh, of uh, tenderness of the mother penetrates into the, the body of the baby. So this is the same. When we hold our suffering tenderly, the energy of mindfulness, understanding, penetrate into the energy of suffering and bring a relief. We suffer less after a few minutes of uh, practice. So the relief, the transformation takes place right away during the time we listen, we chant, we embrace the pain inside. And if you lighter, and when we have understood our own suffering, it becomes much easier to understand the suffering of the other person. And when we look at the other person and, saw and see the suffering inside of him or her, Compassion in us arises. We are not angry at him or her anymore. And that is the power of understanding. Understanding suffering brings about compassion. Compassion heals. The second time the monastic sent the name, they, they try to get in touch with suffering of the people around them, in front of them, on their left, on their right, behind them. And again, getting in touch with suffering and hold it with mindfulness, we generate more compassion in our heart. And for the third, when they send the name for the third time, they try to reach out to the world where there's a lot of suffering going on. And touching suffering like that with mindfulness only has a purpose, help generating the energy of compassion that will be healing and transforming. So chanting must be mindful chanting. We do not think of anything. We just focus all our mind, our attention on suffering and embrace it with mindfulness. When we hear the monks and the nuns chanting, we do very much the same. Although we do not chant, but we listen. We allow the collective energy of mindfulness and compassion generated by the chanting to penetrate into our body and help embrace the suffering inside. Dear Sangha, dear community, here is 
the block of pain in myself. It is my suffering. Please help uh, embrace it for me. So we rely on the collective energy of mindfulness to help uh, embrace our, our pain of suffering. It's like a drop of water allow herself to be embraced by the whole river and allow the river to to transport it. And that is what we call in the Buddhist tradition taking refuge in the Sangha. You surrender to the collective energy of the Sangha. You allow the energy of the Sangha to penetrate into your body and hold your suffering. And if we do that, we will suffer less in just a few minutes. There is a tension and pain in our body that has been accumulated. If we, if we uh, allowed our body to be in here and now and allow it to relax, and then the collective energy of mindfulness generated by the chanting, by the listening, will penetrate in our body and help release the tension. We don't have to strive to make any effort. We just relax and allow the energy to penetrate. And it helps release the tension. And ego feel much better after a few minutes. And when the tension is uh, released, the amount of pain in the body will be reduced also. The pain is in function of uh, tension, the tension. So we can feel uh, lighter release during the time we listen we breathe. We stop completely our thinking because the thinking might take us away from the here and the now where the something wonderful is going on, the collective energy of mindfulness. And if we have uh, in our heart some despair, some anxiety, some fear. And then it is the time for us to open our heart and allow the collective energy of the Sangha to penetrate. Dear Sangha, this is my pain, my sorrow, my anger, my despair. Alone, I have not been able to deal with it, to embrace it. So please help embrace the pain, the suffering in me. Practice like a drop of water in the river. Allow the Sangha to embrace you. And if you open your heart, if you open our heart and allow the Sangha energy to embrace us, and then you will feel much better. Surrender to the Sangha. I take refuge in the Sangha. 
And then uh, if you have uh, a member of the family who is sick, who suffers at home or in the hospital, we may like to channel this energy to him or to her right now by just thinking of him or her or calling the name silently. And this energy can, can be channeled to that person right away. The energy of uh, mindfulness will help create the energy of understanding and uh, compassion that have the power to heal. And this is what we, we do uh, uh, at the end of the year in order to, to help uh, heal the wounds in ourselves. In our, in the person we love, in our family, and in the world. So please, uh, brothers and sisters, allow ourselves to be here, uh, and uh, we practice together. Stop the thinking. Enjoy the time and the energy together.
standing meditation. I'm aware that uh, I'm standing on Mother Earth. Mother Earth is in me, above me, and beneath also. And I invite all my ancestors and my children and their children to join me in making some mindful movement. When I do like this, all my ancestors do it at the same time with me. They are all alive and they enjoy because this body is also their body. I am their continuation. Sangha, please smile because we are online. <coughs> Many of our friends follow this Dhamma talk. A few, uh, a few hundred of us have been uh, in the winter retreat, 90 days. And we are halfway on the retreat. And the theme of our retreat is uh, are we, uh, do we understand the Buddha, his teaching and his practice? Because uh, not only the people uh, who are outside, misunderstand the Buddha, but also the people inside of the tradition, they misunderstand the Buddha. And with the modern way of researches, we can discover a lot of, a lot of misunderstanding when we, of the Buddha's teaching when we read the sutra and we study the, the Abhidharma. 
And many of our friends have followed the Dhamma talks online and practice with us, although they are not here in Plum Village. In the past few weeks, we have been uh, speaking about home, how to go home, how to be home. Many of us are searching for a home where we find comfortable, where we find at ease. I remember in 2007, I went back to Vietnam and organized uh, ceremonies of uh, requirement to pray for the dead people, victims of the war in Vietnam. Many millions of people died during the war. Vietnamese, Americans, and others. So we practice uh, sitting together, walking together, praying together. We generate uh, the energy of mindfulness and compassion, understanding to heal ourselves and help heal the dead people in ourselves. It's very hot uh, at that time. And every time we finish a retreat, a ceremony of uh, prayer, there was uh, rain. And the practice is to heal, to heal a nation that has gone through a very long war. When I was in uh, Pháp Văn Temple, Dhamma Cloud Temple in uh, Ho Chi Minh City, I was interviewed by a journalist coming from Time Magazine about uh, the ceremonies of prayers, the practice of healing. And after the interview, she asked me, What else do you want to tell our readers? And I said that, uh, go home and take care of yourself. She was very shocked. To take care here means to heal. Go home and heal yourself. Because only at home that you can heal yourself. And I was thinking in, uh, in the light of the teaching of Buddha, home is in the here and the now. Home is in yourself. And you can go home just by breathing in mindfully. Uh, making a mindful step, one 
one breath or one step. Done mindfully can bring you home to yourself. Because according to the, the teaching and the practice, home is in the here and the now. You go back to the here and the now. Before the Buddha passed away, he visited his uh, many sanghas around the city of Vaishali. He knew that he would not live very long after. So he went to visit uh, practicing sanghas around the city, the city of Vaishali, just north of the Ganges River. And uh, he said, dear friends, there is an island within ourselves, and that is our home. Just take, uh, just uh, take refuge in that island within yourself, an island of mindfulness. The Dharma don't take uh, refuge in anyone else. Take refuge in the island of self, in the island of the Dharma. So I was thinking of that uh, home, the island within, where we find safe, where we find uh, at ease, where you find uh, you have uh, a chance to heal yourself. I did not know whether she understood. So I was... uh, after the interview, I was um, uh, preparing to leave uh, for the site of the, the retreat. And I asked her, where do you go now? And she said, I'm going home to take care of myself. <laughs> I know that uh, what I said had uh, strike, uh, been very striking. For her, she feels the need to go home and heal herself. I hope she understood that home is right there within herself and she doesn't have to buy air ticket to fly back to America to find home. Because many of us who are in our own country in our own family, do not find our home. So it is not a, a trip by air or by train can bring you home. Our true home is within. In Brahm village we have that song, uh, um, uh, Breathing in, I go home, I go back to the island uh, within myself. And uh, in Plum Village, uh, when we walk, we do not talk, we do not think, because of the talking and the thinking bring us away from the here and the now. We, we are with our in-breath, our breath, and we are with our steps, and we want to go home with every breath and every step. We walk in such a way that we can nourish us and heal us with every step.
And if you stay with us for a week, you do the same thing. Just uh, enjoying your in-breath, out-breath, and your steps uh, without thinking, without talking. And sitting meditation is also to be home. And it is the time, also the time to heal. Because if we know how to sit, and then the healing takes place during the sitting. If we know how to walk, the healing takes place in the time of walking. Every step is healing. Every breath is healing. And we have uh, big brothers, big sisters in the Dharma. We can ask them how to do so that our time in Plum Village would be beneficial for us. And we can bring that practice home. The Buddha said that uh, Nirvana is available in the here and the now. Nirvana means uh, cooling, cooling down. Uh, the extinction of the fire within the fire of anger, the fire of uh, fear, the fire of uh, afflictions. And also the extinction of uh, wrong perceptions, wrong views. We have uh, wrong perceptions. We look we listen, we hear, we feel, and we have wrong perceptions. Especially when we think, we have many wrong perceptions. And our wrong perceptions are at the base of our suffering. Fear, anger, separation, despair, are born from our wrong perceptions. So nirvana is the removal of these uh, wrong perceptions and also the removal of the afflictions that are born from 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 wrong view. The third noble truth uh, sometimes uh, is described as nirvana. Nirvana is the cooling down, the peace, the joy. When you have been able to to remove uh, your wrong views, when you have been able to to extinguish the fire of uh, anger, fear, and so. And the Buddha also said that uh, nirvana is available in the here and the now. We do not need to die in order to touch nirvana. In fact, we need our body, our feelings, our perceptions in order to touch nirvana. We can very well touch nirvana with our body. And uh, that can be 
possible even today. You don't need to practice uh, five years or ten years in order to begin touching Nirvana. Nirvana came is a word that uh, has come from the daily talk of the people in the countryside. In the morning, they want to cook breakfast before going to work. And uh, there's no more fire. The 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 ash is cold. You don't risk to burn your fingers. That is nirvana, cooling. It does not burn. So nirvana is a state of no fever. There is no fever. There is no no heat. The heat, uh, the the fever, the flames are born from wrong perceptions and from uh, from afflictions like fear, anger, and despair. And if you follow the path recommended by the Buddha, you can very well extinguish the fire in our daily life. And that path is called the Noble Path, Marga, a Noble Eightfold Path. So Marga, the Fourth Noble Truth, is the path leading to Nirvana. And that is why we should learn, we should uh, look in order to see the path. To see the path is very important. When you begin to see the path, you begin to see Nirvana. Because there is a a strong, deep connection between the path and Nirvana. In fact, you can see Nirvana just by looking at the path. Uh, last week we have uh, explained, we have uh, discussed about the connection between the third and the fourth uh, noble truth. The third is the cessation of suffering, the presence of uh, happiness, the presence of nirvana. And the fourth is uh, the path of practice that help us experiencing uh, nirvana, experiencing uh, cessation of suffering, experiencing uh, uh, happiness. It is like uh, a sheet of paper. Uh, we can distinguish uh, the left side and the, the right side. Although they, are, they have uh, different names, left and right side, but they, they are connected together. You cannot remove the left from the right and you cannot remove the right from the left. That is what we call interbeing, co-being. And we have uh, tried to look and see the nature of interbeing between the goal, the aim, nirvana, 
and the path leading to Nirvana. And we have found out that, that the path is Nirvana itself. So when you have seen the path and you begin to 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 practice according to the path, you begin to experience Nirvana right away. And as you continue, Nirvana becomes more and more real. Yet you can experience. Suppose there is a splinter in your finger and you feel you don't feel comfortable with the splinter in your finger and you try to extract to take it out and after having taken out the splinter you feel fine you feel free you feel well-being so this is true with our afflictions our anger our fear this kind of splinter And if we know how to remove it and then experience well-being, freedom, and that is Nirvana. So when you take out the splinter from the finger, the state of uh, well-being, freedom, that is Nirvana. Nirvana is not something abstract. It's the feeling of freedom, the feeling of ease, the feeling of uh, of well-being. And when you extract, when you transform your afflictions like anger and fear, every time you extract, you transform one, uh, you experience nirvana. Uh, and wrong perceptions also. When you, when you get uh, understanding when you practice uh, meditation and look deeply into the nature of things, you get the insight. And that insight takes away wrong perceptions and you feel freedom. You feel freedom. You feel at, you feel ease. You feel happiness. So we need, we need this body, the, the six sense organs, we need our uh, mind in order to experience Nirvana. And the Buddha said several times that it is possible for a person to uh, experience uh, perfect Nirvana while he is, uh, she is uh, alive with this body and with this mind. And the path. Any of you who have uh, received the five mindfulness trainings in this new version, you know that uh, the five mindfulness trainings represent the path. And we can very well practice the five trainings. We can very well <coughs> live according to the five trainings and experience Nirvana in our daily life. Because that is the path. And uh, if you get in touch with the path, you get in touch with Nirvana. And we know <coughs> that uh, 
right view is one of the eight elements of the path. And the practice uh, is to get the right view. In our uh, daily life, we should train ourselves to listen, to look, to think in such a way that we can remove wrong views and get the right view. Right view has the power to liberate. The entire uh, Buddhist ethic is based on right view. And one day, a monk whose name is Kakchayana asked the Buddha, Dear teacher, you, have, you, you, you often speak about right view. What is right view exactly? And the Buddha said, right view is a kind of insight that tends and the notion of being and non-being. It's so simple. In order to get that right view, you have to observe, you have to meditate. Thinking is not enough. Thinking doesn't help us to have right view. We know that uh, this is uh, winter time. Winter is there. So spring is not there. And we think that winter is and spring is not. That is our way of thinking. But according to the Buddha to say that uh, spring is not there is not correct. All elements of spring are there, ready to come together and help spring to manifest. In the month of uh, April, we see many kinds of uh, tiny creatures appear, manifest. Many kinds of uh, flowers and uh, uh, and plants manifest. Where where do they come from? They they do not come from nothing. If we look into the nature of spring, we think that uh, spring does not come from the realm of non-being. Before the month of March, and April, we don't we do not see spring. And in the month of April, we begin to see spring. But uh, looking deeply, we know that spring has not come from the realm of non-being into the realm of being. Spring was hidden somewhere, waiting for the time to manifest. So to qualify spring as non-being in winter time is a wrong way. Because from nothing, you can never become something. So let us look deeply into the nature of spring. And we know that uh, 
you cannot use the term being or non-being to, uh, to describe spring. When you do not see spring, you say that being and prince spring is not there. But that's not correct. The idea of being and non-being cannot be as, uh, ascribed to, to spring. The same thing is true with uh, a cloud. When a cloud disappears in the sky, you cannot say that the cloud is no longer there. The cloud is there, but in another form, because a cloud cannot die. A cloud uh, cannot come from the realm of being into the realm of non-being. A cloud can only become the rain or the snow or the hail or the fog or the ice. A cloud can never die, can never become uh, nothing. So when we do not see the cloud, we cannot describe the cloud as non, non-existing, non being And this is... Uh, the problem of uh, deep looking. And looking deeply, we can remove the notion of being and non-being. And at the same time, we remove the notion of birth and death. Because these uh, two pairs of notions are linked to each other. We think of uh, to be born means from the realm of non-being, we pass into the realm of being. So the notion of birth is based on the notion of being and non-being. The notion of death is the same. Because we think that to die means from being, you go to non-being. And as we look at the cloud, we see that uh, it is impossible for a cloud to die. So you know that you have to remove the notion of death. And if you remove the notion of death, the notion of being and non-being are removed at the same time. That is a right view. That is the, path, the, the, the foundation of the path. We are still in the winter retreat. It means that we still follow our schedule. <clears throat> so the first element of uh, the path is right view. And according to the Buddha, in one of his Dhamma talks, Right view is a kind of insight that transcends the notion of birth or the notion of being and non-being. To be or not to be is no longer the question. And we know that according to the teaching, right view comes from the practice of right concentration. Right concentration. And right mindfulness. 
this is uh, <coughs> this is the core of Buddhist meditation. Mindfulness is a kind of energy you generate in your daily life, and when you when you are mindful, you are always present in the here and the now. Your mind and your, your body are together, and you are able to live each moment of your daily life deeply. That's the art of mindful living. Because your mind and your body are together, and you are in touch with what is happening in the present moment. You are truly alive. And if you live like that, you cultivate your concentration. And with mindfulness and concentration, you get the right view. And right view can come at any time. Suppose you breathe in mindfully, and you bring your mind home to your body. And when mind and body together, concentrated, suddenly you have an insight that you are alive. Many people walk around but do not remember that they are alive. When you spend two hours with your computer, you are completely absorbed in it and you forget that you have a body, that Mother Earth is there, all the wonders of life are there. You think that uh, what is more important is uh, to solve the problem uh, with your computer. And your mind is not with your body. And that is why in Plum Village, uh, in our computers, there is a bell of mindfulness. Every 15 minutes, you hear the bell, and you go home. <laughs> you go home to your body, and you smile. You breathe three times deeply before you resume your work. Otherwise, you lose everything. So, if uh, we practice mindfulness, we we can live more deeply every moment of our daily life. We get in touch with the wonders of life that are healing and nourishing. And uh, when we when we live like that, we are concentrated on the present moment and the insight can come. Breathing in, and if we focus our attention on our in-breath, we suddenly become aware that we are alive. And to be alive is a wonderful thing. Because someone who is already dead does not breathe in anymore. So just breathe in, in, and you have the insight that uh, you are alive. So mindfulness can bring inside right 
right away in just a few seconds. Right? Mindfulness has the power to produce insight and concentration. And that is a kind of insight. There are many kinds of insight, many moments of insight. When you walk mindfully, you might be aware of your body. You might be aware that uh, Mother Earth is not only beneath, but inside of you. That is a kind of insight. And insight continues to come like that, like a stream. And insight has the power to liberate. The first thing to be liberated is our forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness is the opposite of mindfulness. We are alive, but we do not know that we are alive. We have a body, and we do not know that we have a body. And many people live in forgetfulness until they, they die. And at the, at the moment of dying, they suddenly wake up and they found out that they have not truly lived their life. There are nurses who accompany the dying people and they have reported to us that many of the people who are dying regret that they have not lived their life. They work too hard. They worry too much. They did not have time to live their daily life. They spend their life in forgetfulness. They think that having fame or power or money is more important. They regret that they have not lived their life. They have spent their time being in forgetfulness. So, according to the practice, the teaching the practice, everything you do in your daily life should be mindful, to be done mindfully, And if you do them mindfully, like walking or driving or cooking, and then you are truly alive, you don't have to set uh, aside some time to practice mindfulness. You practice mindfulness while you brush your teeth, or take uh, a shower, or do the dishes, and you are fully alive in these moments. And this is an art of living. And we know that mindfulness is the same nature with insight. Smarty is uh, is uh, is uh, prajna itself. So awakening, enlightenment is possible every minute, every moment if you live your life in mindfulness. And this is a way of life. And we need some training in order to live our life like that. 
And if we live according, uh, in, a, in a place where there are people who practice like this, uh, this is uh, very easy because everyone is trying to do the same thing and everyone reminds you that you should live your life mindfully and deeply, otherwise you regret later. So mindfulness is one energy, concentration is another energy, and these two energies always bring the third kind of energy, which is right view. And right view has, has the power to liberate. First of all, it liberates you from forgetfulness, so that you can live your life properly and deeply. And then it can help liberate you from anger, fear, discrimination, and so on. And the practice of uh, living mindfully helps you to look more deeply at everything as they present themselves in the present moment. And you discover the nature of no birth, no death, no being, and no non-being. So the five mindfulness trainings that we have received a very concrete way uh, to leave uh, the path of uh, of uh, the noble path. When you have right view, you can practice right thinking. Right thinking is the kind of thinking that goes along with uh, understanding and compassion. And that kind of thought that you produce have the power to heal and to transform. If you produce hate and despair in your thinking, that kind of thinking is destructive. It can it can create violence. Wrong thinking, the thinking characterized by discrimination and anger and fear, may lead a person to kill, uh, to kill himself or herself. And right thinking is not possible without right view, and that is why right thinking always go in the direction of uh, understanding and compassion. As soon as you produce a thought. Uh, in the in the direction of right thinking, that thought begins to heal you and heal the world and bring happiness. And if uh, you have uh, removed the notion of being and non-being, the notion of birth and death, the right thinking will be more powerful. It is free from all kind of discrimination. Because uh, right view is also the insight of interbeing. It transcends the notion of being and non-being. By 
interbeing. Interbeing is not being. The insight of interbeing helps you to remove the notion of being. That does not mean that you fall into the notion of non-being. No. It helps you to transcend also the notion of non-being. Because to be, you cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with everything at the same time. We have seen one simple example. The left and the right. They inter-are. Without the left, the right cannot be. You cannot remove the right from the left. And that is interbeing. The same thing is true with the above and the below. You cannot remove the below from the above. E inter R. If the communist and the anti-communist they kill each other because they don't see the nature, the nature of interbeing. When they kill the other person, they kill themselves. If the Palestinians and the Israelis are afraid of each other because they don't see the nature of interbeing, the safety and and the well-being of the other side is their own safety and security. If they help the other side to have more safety and security, and then on their side, they have more safety and security. So that is the nature of interbeing. And that is why the insight of interbeing remove the notion of being and non-being and remove all kind of separation and discrimination. And that is why right thinking can heal the world, can heal your body, heal uh, your mind, and heal the world. And right thinking is all the action. is only karma, karma, yep. good karma, right thinking. As soon as you produce a thought of compassion, of non-discrimination, you heal yourself and you heal the world. And then with right view, you produce uh, right speech, you practice right right speech. What you say, what you write in your email, is full of understanding and compassion. There's no discrimination. There's no anger. There's no fear. And why writing a letter like that, when saying something kind, compassionate like that, you heal yourself. You feel wonderful in your body and your mind. And you have healed the other person. If you are a journalist, and if you have right view, with the, you have the inside of interbeing, the article that you write, 
will be full of compassion and understanding. And while writing, you get the healing. And when the people read the article, they get the healing. If you are a school teacher, the same thing is true. And right thinking and right uh, right speech cannot be possible without right view. And right view is the outcome of right mindfulness and right concentration. That is the path. And then with uh, right view, we can practice uh, right uh, action. What we do with our body that can protect, that can help, that can save, that can uh, heal is uh, right action. Even the act of eating, we can eat in such a way that can reduce the suffering of living beings. We can drink and eat in such a way that that reduce the suffering of living beings. And that is why we need the five contemplations. We eat in such a way that we can uh, preserve our planet. We can uh, protect uh, other species on Earth. And with compassion, with understanding, this is possible, always possible. And uh, many people have found out also that uh, when you go when you go vegetarian, vegan, you help reduce a lot of uh, uh, the damage caused uh, to the earth, and it's, 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 uh, it, 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 it will help more. Uh, than if uh, you uh, you don't drive a car. When you drive a car, you pollute. Even if you stop driving a car, you only take uh, the train or the the the, um, and the bus. You can reduce uh, the pollution, but. Uh, to go vegetarian, you have more. You have more because uh, the food industry, as uh, it is now, well, is uh, very destructive. So action karma is seen as uh, thinking speaking and doing things. And this kind of wholesome karma will produce uh, well-being, happiness. And this is a nirvana.
And with the right view, we will be able to select a kind of livelihood that uh, can express our understanding and compassion. a kind of uh, career, a kind of uh, livelihood that can help uh, protect the environment, that can help you to uh, to exercise your 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 compassion and your understanding. Even this job uh, does not bring as much uh, money as the other job, but you are much happier because you are on the right path. And you, your life uh, is full of understanding and compassion. And you touch uh, well-being, you touch nirvana. You consume less, but you are happier. And then the other element of the path is uh, right uh, diligence. Right diligence means that you continue with the practice of right thinking, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. You continue to practice mindfulness, concentration, in order to continue to get the insight. And one of the eight elements help produce the other seven elements. About 100 years ago, Many uh, Western scholars from Europe, they begin to study Buddhism. They learn Pali, Sanskrit, uh, Tibetan, Chinese. And the first 40 years, during the first 40 years of uh, Indian studies, the majority of them came to the conclusion that the aim of Buddhism is to have an eternal death. Buddhism aims at an eternal death because nirvana is the extinction of being. When I read the 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 findings, the works, I recognize that they are very intelligent people, very intelligent people. And yes, when they, when they, when they look into the scriptures, they found out that, that Buddhism, the aim of Buddhism is eternal death. You want to die and you, you, you don't want to reborn again because uh, transmission, uh, reincarnation is painful. So nirvana to them is eternal death. And then I ask myself, why these intelligent people, <laughs> they can think like that? Because when they, when they come to a Buddhist countries like Burma, like Thailand, they see that the people are full of life, they love being alive. They are not pessimistic, they don't want to die. They want to, to live, and yet, uh, how, how, they, they, how, 
the spiritual tradition, Buddhism, uh, like that, and yet pe- people are like that. Then I found out that because uh, because uh, the thinking is too much categorized, characterized by by dualism, the dualistic thinking. We think in terms of being and non-being, birth and death. And this is not that. Right is not left. Above is not below. We think in the opposite direction of interbeing. The Buddhist thinking is that everything inter-is with everything else. You cannot take the right from the left, the left from the right, the above from the below, and etc. And in Buddhism, you learn that suffering and happiness, they inter-are. You cannot take suffering out of happiness. You cannot take happiness out of suffering. Happiness is made of non-happiness elements, including suffering. It's like when you look at the lotus flower and look deeply, you see that the lotus flower is made only of non-lotus elements, including the mud. Without the mud, you cannot have a lotus flower. So, so the suffering inside of us and in the world is a kind of mud. And if you know how to make good use of the mud, you can produce the lotus of happiness. So that is the thinking characterized by interbeing. But if you think that happiness is one thing and suffering is another thing, you can take them out of each other's, that is dualistic thinking. And as far as you continue to think dualistically like that, you cannot understand Buddhism even if you are a very good, a very uh, uh, talented scholar. And to me, Christianity has been transformed that, by that way of thinking also. We have understood Christianity very much in a spirit of dualism. In Buddhism, there is a distinction between the living being and the Buddha, which is an enlightened being. But we are, we are always reminded that you cannot take the Buddha out of you and you cannot take you out of the Buddha. It's like the lotus flower. You cannot take the mud out of the lotus because the mud is one necessary element for the lotus to be. So when you look into the Buddha, you see non-Buddha elements, including uh, suffering. You can, can see the suffering in the Buddha transform into compassion. Today we have uh, learned how to embrace our suffering. And we know that understanding suffering will bring about compassion. And compassion can heal, can create happiness. So that is a kind of 
making good use of the mud to cultivate lotus flowers. So before you bow to a Buddha, you have to meditate in order not to see the Buddha as a god completely outside of you. And when I was 16, ordained as a novice, my teacher told me that before you bow to the Buddha, you have to recite a verse. You say, Dear Buddha, the one who bow, which is me, and the one who is bowed to, it is you. We are both empty in our nature. We don't have a separate self. It means I am in you and you are in me. If you are only you and I only me, there is no communication possible. And that is why before you bow to the Buddha, you have to see the interbeing nature of the Buddha and your nature of interbeing. You have to see Buddha in you and you in the Buddha, and that makes communication deep and possible. If you bow to Jesus and you pray to him, and if you think that you and Jesus, you are a sinful person and Jesus is God, you cannot see you in Jesus and you cannot see Jesus in you, you cannot really have true communication with Jesus. And that is why there are mystics who can transcend that kind of uh, discrimination and understand Christianity deeper and have better relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. But the situation of Buddhist studies now in Europe has have make a lot uh, is much better. That is why uh, a global ethic needed for our time in order not to create separation, discrimination, should be based on right view. And according to the Buddha, right view is first of all the know, the inside of interbeing and you remove the notion of birth and death, being and non-being. Suppose we, we meditate a little bit about birth and death. According to the, to the dualistic thinking, you know, now is only life and death will be later on. But when a biologist looks into the body, he can see that birth and death are happening at the same time, always. In this very moment, many millions of cells are dying. Death is happening right here, right now, in your body. And that makes it possible for other cells to be born. So the left and the right lean on each other in order to be death and birth. They lean on each other in order to be possible. In this very moment, 
many, many cells are dying. And we are so busy to organize funeral ceremonies for them. And at the same time, many new, new cells are born. And we, are, we also do not have the time to, to sing happy birthday to these, uh, to these uh, cells. It means birth and death, they are like left and right. They happen, they lean on each other to be. We don't have to wait until 50 years later in order to experience death. We are dying now. We are dying in every moment. And we are born in every moment because birth and death, they are always together, like left and right. And that is why the inside of interbeing can remove all kind of wrong perceptions and fear, even the fear of death, dying. The cloud is not fearful because she knows that she cannot die. She can only become snow or rain. Why should we be afraid of dying? Because we have not seen the nature of interbeing. We have not been able to remove the notion of being and non-being, birth and death. And nirvana is that. Nirvana is the removal of all these notions. And together with all these notions, the fear, the anger, the dissuasion vanish. That is nirvana available in the here and the now. And when you look at the A Noble Path, you cannot imagine that this practice will lead to eternal death. It's a very clear, very obvious that every of the elements can only bring joy and freedom and happiness. And how can we come to a conclusion that the path of Buddhism only leads to eternal death? And that is because the dualistic thinking way of thinking. scholars who, <clears throat> who have uh, come to the to the conclusion that uh, the ultimate aim of Buddhism is eternal death they have overlooked many passages in the sutra where the Buddha said when you are able to remove these uh, afflictions and these wrong perceptions you experience nirvana in the here and the now right in this life. You don't have to die. The first time I, I spoke uh, in a church in America, it was in uh, 66, 1966. And in a suburb of uh, Philadelphia, the community of black people, and I remember that during that talk, I have said this. You don't have to die in order to go to the kingdom of God.
In fact, you have to be very alive. And in, in order to be alive, it's easy. You breathe in mindfully. And when you breathe in mindfully, you bring your mind home to your body. And when mind and body are together, you are established in the here and the now. You are truly present. You are truly alive. And you make a step, you go into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here and now. Over the years, you have established a relationship between Buddhists and Christians. I have written uh, books and organized uh, interfaith uh, retreats where Christians participated. The book, uh, Living Buddha, Living Christ, Going Home, Buddha and Jesus as Brothers, uh, have been used as instruments in order to establish a link and to promote more uh, mutual understanding. And now there are many, uh, many friends who practice uh, both Christianity and Buddhism, uh, including clergymen. And uh, there is a kind of uh, of uh, of uh, tendency called a double belonging. You do, you belong to both traditions, and you don't see any conflict. And that talk, even in Philadelphia, was the first talk where I present uh, my insight about the kingdom of God. And what I said is very simple, very clear. You don't have to die in order to go to the kingdom. In fact, you have to be very alive. You have to be fully present in the here and the now. And if you can do that, you make a step and you go to the kingdom. And now, half a century has passed. And the other day I wrote that the most beautiful place of heaven is on earth. The kingdom is right here and right now. The kingdom doesn't have to come. It is already here. So our friends who come to Plum Village enjoy walking meditation. And if they have enough mindfulness and concentration, they enjoy the kingdom of God with every step. They enjoy Nirvana at every step. We know that there is no way to Nirvana. Nirvana is the way, the path. And when you receive the five mindfulness trainings, you know that these five trainings are based on the inside of right, right view, free from the notion of birth and death, being and non-being, free from all kinds of discrimination, and happiness is possible with that kind of insight, compassion, and peace, and liberation is possible with uh, that kind of insight. So what kind of resolution am I, I am to make before the coming of the year? Maybe I was 
I write down something like this. I am determined. I am determined not to waste my life, not to waste my time, not I, I dare to live the life that I want to live. And I, I want that every step I make on this planet bring joy, happiness to me and to the people. I want every step I make on this planet is a, is a step I made in the kingdom of God, in the touching the nirvana. Because uh, it's my conviction. This, uh, the path and nirvana, the path and the kingdom are the same. You cannot remove the kingdom from the path. You cannot remove nirvana from the path. You cannot remove the path from the kingdom. Oh, Nirvana. So the other day I woke up uh, at midnight, I wrote down, there is no way to Nirvana. Nirvana is the way. So every step helps you to touch Nirvana, liberation from wrong perception, liberation from the anger and fear born from these uh, wrong perceptions. And like that, I can enjoy deeply every moment that is giving me to life. Maybe I would write down uh, that as uh, the resolution for, for, for the new year. Let us do working meditation together and experience uh, the kingdom of God, the, the nirvana, we don't have to look for nirvana. It is already there. We need a little bit of awakening. That is all. To abandon the old style of living and to enter the path and touch the kingdom of God, nirvana, right away in the here and the now. Happy New Year for everyone.